Hello and welcome to Small Town Discourse. That may have been a bit loud, but hi everybody. I'm Henry Corman. Uh, we're here in the studio in little lovely Eugene, Oregon. It's getting hot outside and I'm here with the usual group. Allison Escalante, Thomas Tullis, and a our first returning guest, a fan favorite, I've heard, is uh, Edward Fitzgibbon. What's up, Ed? I'm doing well. I don't know about a fan favorite. I haven't heard that, but uh, I'm <laughs> well, excited to be back. <laughs> that's what Allison's Tumblr yeah, followers people message say. me on Tumblr about you. Oh, They're nice. like, when can you get Ed back? <laughs> <laughs> Tumblr famous. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what do you guys think about... Uh, I had something, oh. and I couldn't think of it. I had, like, a thing earlier to Where'd talk about. Where'd it go? About. It was up here. Oh Where'd boy. it go? It was up here. Something about... What do you guys think about uh, the new Thor movie? I, 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 I don't have any thoughts. Yeah, I, d- I, I, I don't I, think about it. I also don't think much about it. None, All of, right. us, none of us are fucking nerds, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> All oh. right, well, Ed, are you a top or a bottom? Um, <laughs> I'm versatile. Nice. That's a cop-out. No, verse is a real thing. I are you trying to erase like a <laughs> lot of people's experiences right now? That's I think there's a dominant about. mode. No, like you're either right-handed or left-handed. Verse. No, you're fucking wrong. Or you're ambidextrous. <laughs> ambidextrous people don't like pick which. Maybe they, they do. always write with one. They don't just switch off every day. They it's can like do it. Fucking bigot. They Henry. can do both. I can do both, but I I'm usually a bottom. Yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> but some people... Cool. <laughs> you're not everyone, dude. All right, anyways, we're talking about power today. Power in the sense of the... Good segue. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's actually a pretty relevant segue. Uh, so I like... Uh, I like... Never mind. Dude, it's so cold in here. I actually brought socks in my back pocket in case my feet got yeah, too cold. Yeah, I should have brought a jacket. Because I'm wearing sandals because it's hot out. I like your Burks, though, so... Shout out, shout out to John's dad for figuring out the frequency the air conditioning sound in the background is so we can cut it out. Yes, these last was couple cool. episodes are going to sound a lot better. Yeah. Or maybe not. <laughs> are they not going to sound better? Are they going to sound worse? Don't give them that I think Well, there's not going to be a fucking annoying air I think we should. Air I, I think we need to get going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we need to get going. Uh, you know, people like this. I've been listening to more podcasts uh, yeah, lately. Banter is good. Like it's banter. always yeah. like yeah. five minutes our, of banter. Our banter is all over the place, though. That's it's fine. Very I relevant. listen to a podcast. Are you not cold? Uh, not really. No, I'm all right. What the I fuck, mean, man? I'm okay. We're about to talk about power with Tom, so there's going to be banter. I yeah. was listening to a podcast today <laughs> yeah, where they true. literally there's for ten minutes talked about their dads. It was good. Moving. That was a good. That was a good conversation, though. It was great, and I think we're having a good, some good banter now. Yeah, I like. But banter. anyways, whatever. So power, 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 in the, in the metaphysical sense. I wouldn't call it metaphysical. In the, stretching in the, that term. In the more, yeah. what is not metaphysical? What's the term? Theoretical. Theoretical. That's, the, that's exactly the word I meant to say. Yeah, those are different things, man. Um. So not power, as in like electricity power, electric power, or um, you know, st- physical strength. Though sometimes that's a part of uh, the theoretical power. Maybe it could be. Anyways, why don't we? Who has a thesis statement? Have you ever taken a philosophy class? No. Yeah. Good thing this is a fucking political podcast and not a fucking philosophy podcast. Hey, but we're gonna get into philosophy. Yeah, this, this is that's fine. That's fine. I'm gonna that's talk fine. about Michel Foucault. Can yeah. we just? Can we? I I would like. Can we have a few like real world examples 
of how these things work. At uh, least. I don't think we Wait. can start with the real world. Like, Not start with. I just mean eventually say this manifests in like you know this country has can a lot I of tanks. Can just start by like throwing down my beef with yeah, the libertarian view of power? Yeah, I just said go. I just can I just say why I think that's wrong? Go ahead, Edward. Wait, I think we should start this episode the same way we started the last theoretical one and just try and give a definition yeah. for it because we need to be arguing to the same point. I'll get Wikipedia. So here's the thing, though, is <laughs> I don't think like you can like give a good definition of power in the productive view. You can just demonstrate like what it's doing, right? You know, that's kind of the thing is I don't know how the hell you define power. Foucault tried to do that once and it took like five essays. Yeah. The ability to do I, something or act in a particular way. That's very much not. As a faculty or quality. Not at all. Yeah. Well, no. It, it, Henry, that's, that's ideology. One. I'm <laughs> going to fucking just read the fucking Google. No, but like, we're how here. Google's here. Cut their mics. Okay. The capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior mm-hmm. of others or the course of events. That one's closer, maybe. All right. Well, it's not, it, that I, it sounds like you want to talk about control them. more than power. Oh, we'll see. There's the question. But I but, mean, here, just, but that, this like is my problem, though. And see, so you already are getting. I mean, into they're the related. Don't get me wrong; they're pretty close. Can I just say what I think is wrong with the libertarian view, and yeah. then let's go from there? Yeah. Okay. I don't ahead. think there is <laughs> a, a. Well, because I think this will get to a definition. Of okay. Power. I don't think there's a libertarian consensus though on the definition of power. You you can have a preface to your definition if you want. We will try not to interrupt. Well, I would just say so. The problematic that I want to like work around is sort of like this libertarian notion of voluntariness and coercion, right? Which are both pretty central to like, not even just Randy and libertarianism. And so I think that there's this underlying view of power in both of those. That's just like totally incorrect, which is that like libertarians would basically say contracts are a voluntary exchange. You know, there's free agency exercise in the signature of a contract. Um, And I think that, Absent really a context of the government putting a gun to your head for libertarians, that's considered a voluntary action. Um, and so I think kind of this what, is co- contract signing a contract absent a gun to your yeah, head but, from but the, the government. Liber- the libertarian position, of course, is that contracts can exist absent signatures or absent written language. Well, well, sure, sure. But the yeah. point is the entering into a contract is always voluntary unless it's coerced by power directly is sort of the libertarian concept there. And I guess here's for me where I have a problem with that and where I think power becomes an interesting question, which is that for those of us on the left, we would say, well, the threat of starvation or these more abstract forms of power count as power. Here's what I've heard, okay, is that the libertarian argument is that the contract is voluntary if a market exists. Right, so like, wasn't it, it I'm pretty sure it was Locke who who made the theoretical of like, if you're a boat and you're in the middle of the ocean, and there's somebody like drowning or something. It was, it was something to this extent. Like sure. somebody's drowning, you can't say, uh, for example, you can't. They can't contractually agree to be a uh, indentured servant for the rest of their life if you save them, kind of thing. Because yeah, there's yeah. no marketplace for them to choose between options. You know what I mean? Sure. So, like, so yeah, I think that does reflect. It, it, like in that case, it's only a, 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 there's no contract that they can actually like agree. Sure, because we would recognize that in that instance, the person in the boat is exercising power in some way right, by sure. insisting upon certain demands being contractually met in exchange for saving that person's life, right? Sure. But right. is saving them not power? That That's what I'm saying. It is power. But the way that that power relationship's functioning in that instance is that it's predicated on entering into a contract. In this right. So, so the person, so, so for example, if you said like, oh, if the person's drowning, you can't ask them to enter into a contract of like, oh, you'll owe me this if I save you or, or something to that extent because it's not truly voluntary. Yeah. I mean, you so that could would ask be them. An, and, and, so yeah, but that would be an unjust exercise of power. Under libertarian theory. Well, under libertarian theory, it just wouldn't be voluntary. Yeah, which would be unjust. 
I mean, the whole sure, point of like sure, sure. the libertarian so, project is to build this theoretical volunteerism. So, what if there is an implied yeah. consequence to it, yeah. not an expressed consequence, like starvation? Yeah. <laughs> well, the there is an implied. What do you mean? How is that? How is them drowning different from starvation? So let, let's I mean, say fine. You can do okay, fine. Middle of the desert, then, and you have food. Well, no, so let's let's make it like less. Let's make it less okay. hypothetical, though. Then, um, so let's say again that I live in an urban center. Um, if I don't sell my labor, if I don't agree to take on a job and wage, I'm going to starve. Yep. Right? Cool. So how is that a voluntary action? Um, that is... The, okay. The coercion in that case... So what you're saying is nature is coercive. Um, potentially, yeah. I mean... I mean, like, from the, from the very beginning, of course, you have to labor. I mean, you, you hunters, gatherers, like, whatever. Labor is required to Yeah, but that doesn't food. necessarily require you to enter into a contract with another person who exploits you. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think in an urban environment a uh, contract um, is, necess- is necessary for you to labor. I mean, Tom, like, we've had this conversation before, and I am totally in the boat that nature is oppressive to yeah, living so. things. <laughs> like, if we, right. things die. No, I agree. And things die because of natural consequences. This and is a good starting point. Okay, we're all on the same platform there. I mean, that's a big reason that, it's important to analyze our social structures and mm. the power and violence inherent in them but, so that but, we can But you guys like to say that the employer or the corporation is being oppressive in this circumstance when we just agree well, with let's, nature. Let's not even use terms like oppressive real quick. Like, I just want to think about what the power the, relationship is here. Here. So I think that, so if I'm going to give my definition of uh, power, it's really that it's inherent in all relationships. Mm-hmm power just exists in the relationship there's i mean you can talk about things like control which is a manipulation of the power that's in it but it's the levying of multiple facets of a relationship two things that are in contact inherently have a relationship with one another and thus develop a power relationship in that and it's whether or not that relationship is i mean coming from like a leftist anarchist perspective that relationship is not necessarily unjustified, like a parent telling a child not to run into the street. However, we still have to look at the dynamics of power in those relationships yeah. because it, it's just, it's something that relationships okay. do. We're on the same page. So, like, though. yeah, I, 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 li- I like where Ali's going in examining how markets function using power. I mean, that's fine. Sure. So, I, I guess I do want to say, though, before we start throwing in terms like unjust or oppressive, like, I agree with Edward. So my view of power is that it's diffuse. It's universalized. Any interaction between two people necessarily has power. So the goal isn't to get rid of power or to get rid of power relationships because those are an inevitable product of multiple people. Right, you existing. guys are more interested in examining structural power. Uh, well, so I think a lot of structural power is more diffuse than we think it is, actually. But I'm interested. So I think the sort of exploitation question is more interesting, but that's sort of what Henry. No, I think so too. I think I think that this conversation is going to end up talking about exploitation. Sure. And the, I mean, yeah, you're right, Ali, that libertarians are sort of hell bent on this idea of voluntarism, or or more so the idea of coercion. I mean, in fact, the entire argument against the government is that it is exactly. And 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 so I do agree with you guys that if if you can convince me that the marketplace it has coercive. uh, well, what I would try to suggest is that coercion actually is a universalized phenomenon and not a good reason to reject a political project. So I'm trying to question the critical approach that libertarianism tries to take to say this specific type of power, i.e. coercion, should be rejected in all instances, and thus the state should be rejected. 
Yes, thank you. You summed it up well. So that's the libertarian position, right? Yeah, like yeah. that's more or less what the libertarian position is. I mean, and very. So, yeah, so yeah, the exactly. claim that I'm trying to make though is that coercion coercion extends far beyond the state and is universalized across society. And so the delineation that libertarians make from a state exercise of power and the exercise of power distributed across an economy is an artificial distinction. Okay, but the, the problem is, and I think that the, where that distinction sort of breaks down is libertarians are also very hell-bent on the idea of bodily autonomy. And you could argue, of course, that, that um, in some sense, all every power dynamic is derived from uh, you know, bodily autonomy, whether you uh, own yourself or not. Um, but the idea is, because like, you're right, I mean, like, then you could say, like, okay, well, our power dynamic with nature uh, is coercive in the extent that you have to labor to survive. Mm -hmm. Like, like we all agree that you that you must labor to survive. Sure, yeah. it's pretty. Yeah, it's that's so a pretty basic. Oh, I'd say that just labor is a natural part of human expression. It's inherent for us to thrive. Not like the simple Marxist idea of labor. Well, I mean, but this like, is a Marxist insight. This yeah. is the species being notion exactly. in like early Marx. Exactly. Like we we definitely have to labor in order to see ourselves in the world and feel productive yes but, but even more basic than that just pure survival is that like you must gather and consume food sure or, yeah, or yeah, you yeah, yeah. that like goes very, back very that goes basic. back to nature being inherently oppressive kind of similar to how right, warner so brothers must advertise wonder woman or it's gonna make a big fucking flop at the box office which it's about to is that what you're looking at on your phone wait i got an instagram ad for a dr pepper tie get off instagram and it looks bad we're this recording here I'm I'm paying attention. Okay, hold on, hold on. So back to the power this thing. This topic I Here's, know I've no insight on. I'm gonna lose my I'm gonna lose my train of thought. Yeah, let Tom go. Um, shoot, I'm gonna already. Did you already? Uh, no, nah, I don't know. Oh shoot, Henry. I'm thinking. Uh, okay, no. So what I was gonna say is right. So we agree that nature is oppressive, it, to that extent. Sure. So why is it that communists and Marxists and left anarchists love to? put that oppression on the marketplace rather than on nature. Because markets aren't people. No. If, oh, if well, labor so there's a difference is necessary. Here, but because the marketplace is different. So there's a difference between me living a life such that I have to do labor in order to live and me entering a contractual agreement with someone where I do labor that they then profit off of. That's the exploitation bit that we always come back to. But okay, but why are we so focused on the employee-employer relationship? Uh, plenty of people work without any sort of contract. I mean, the majority if don't, you just work though. for yourself. The majority do not do that. Most entrepreneurs fail, and entrepreneurs are a minority in the economy. Okay, so... And most of them employ laborers. So is, is the exploitation that you... Okay, so it's it's not. Okay, hold on. I'm trying to phrase this properly. So, if there was no profit in the employee-employer relationship, there would be no exploitation. What do right? you mean? That's well, I'm trying to summarize the the Marxist position, which is essentially, I mean, the, the exploitation is the surplus uh, well, that the employer. Well, yeah, but is, it's not just an issue of profit. It's one person owning property and another selling their labor to work it is a fundamentally exploitative relationship. Yeah. And but we agree that you have to sell your labor to survive. You no, you have to labor to survive. There's a difference between you have to labor to survive and you have to sell your labor to survive. Okay, Those so are and, two and, and totally different notions. No, go ahead. Go elaborate on that. Well, so for example, to uh, think back to when we had John in here, um, Zerzin, uh, in his ideal, which is not what I would advocate, but I think it makes this distinction stark. In a hunter-gatherer society, you are not selling your labor to survive. That is direct, unmediated, unaid. This is one thing he's correct about. That is unmediated, unalienated labor. B, 
being put directly into the survival for yourself and because we produce surplus value when we do labor the survival of those in your community who cannot do that work themselves but it's not being sold or exchanged did you hear that 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 laugh that weird laugh thing yeah what was that i don't know ghost in the machine that's do, do you see the difference there tom that what? was weird that was weird though there was like a ghost yeah, for a weird. second there <laughs> anyway um okay yes i see what you're saying but essentially you're getting at the alienation from your labor right yeah what's the phrase alienation of labor something like yeah. that there's depends like on the translation. multiple right okay so but kinds. i love talking about that yeah because, there are different kinds because of my argument there though. is very easily that and and this is particularly true because like a lot of the marxist communist theory like was created during an industrialization uh-huh. and like we just lived in such a radically different world you could almost convince me that when factories were so prevalent yeah um not factories with automation like you know like during the 1900s yeah. and the 1800s well, there was some primitive automation then too there was some primitive automation right but there was a lot of like what i would call yeah like alien like i'm convinced of the idea that alienation of labor is a bad thing and that it exists but it's not just in factories um, well, one, no, I, I mean, don't get me like, wrong. It's I very agree. silly to think that factories are obsolete in the modern world because they're not. Um, no, factories yeah, they're, they're obviously are not. still a huge part. Manufacturing is like predominant in some parts of the United States still, and in a lot of countries. Yeah, we shouldn't. You know? We shouldn't get distracted but, by our privilege on the <laughs> class aristocracy. Yeah. So. No, but but okay, but even on even on a global scale, um, automation that previously could not exist does now exist. Yeah, I don't, but I don't most think manufacturing that's even a, a is not stance. automated. Um, no, but significantly higher percentage. There are still than like zero huge p- towns it used to be in the United percent. States that now are it's probably just what, steel like work. Thirty percent, forty percent, or else I don't think. I bet it's. I bet it's higher than. I mean, Henry, you can actually how much ma- of manufacturing is automated on a global level? I mean, in the U.S., it's obviously higher than fifty percent. I actually don't think it's that high in the U.S. Autom- I mean, or like traditional manufacturing is a huge economic sector. We have literally shifted into a service economy due to not entirely though. Outsourcing is part of it. On this coast, sure worst service economy but like you were really forgetting a lot of the center of the country that still has manufacturing jobs um i just mean like this is very much an experience coming from someone who lives on the west coast. no I, I just mean <laughs> on a i mean and the east coast is a service economy. sure fine the yeah, flyover on states the coast. fine there's a lot more um like uh physical labor there sure and those are still part of the country though yeah those don't not matter i'm just of, cor- <laughs> of course they do matter if, if they didn't matter trump wouldn't be president but <laughs> but the but the idea yeah. is um that like as a percentage of total jobs like whatever as a percentage of our gdp uh, we're mainly a service economy i mean that's almost yeah, I, I mean i'm sure in the process of shifting to that and, and but, other countries but again, will I d- follow but i, I think also following. i also think service work is still alienated yeah. i don't know why you think alienation okay yeah cool cool i'm, I'm down to talk about service work i'm sure. super down to talk about service well work. so for example like in the food service context yeah. i think that's like very obviously alienated the point is you're doing labor that produces products that other people consume i and think that your boss profits off i of think in the if, same way if, i think it depends on the specific position that you're talking about yeah but like, so even when I worked as like a busser at a sure. restaurant, which so like I sure. wasn't directly involved in making food, yeah. I was still directly involved in this operation of producing commodities and selling them to individuals, and then someone else making a profit off of that. It was still my labor, not going towards my direct thriving, but being mediated through a wage. Yeah, like when I was working in restaurants, in kitchens and stuff, and just making a like shit ton of burgers constantly mm-hmm. all the time, and that sucks yeah to do it's but really i go home and what i do to relax a lot of the time is cook 
Yeah. Like I love cooking and I love cooking new things and experiencing food in that way. But I feel totally alienated from food if I'm working in a kitchen like that. Okay, so so I think in that case, it's not the alienation that exists. And I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna dispute that that the alienation exists. Okay, sure. But I think that I mean we obviously we all agree that there are a lot of chefs who love what they do and they love cooking for other people as a means of survival, right? Sure, I mean some, it's an art, it's do, an art yeah. for them. So it really depends but when you guys say the you food enjoy industry your job is sort of not what we're doing. I think I think that I, uh, you're right, but it's, it's super related. People also I mean, respond would you, to alienation in a lot yeah. of different ways. We can't just say that somebody who is excelling you can in a learn field to love doesn't domination. feel alienated by it. There's lots of chefs who are like, I yeah. love what I do. I love cooking. I love my yeah. art, but I also hate this. But job. also, <laughs> I think like, and so here's maybe like the one instance where Zizek's useful. Um, so like Zizek <laughs> has one. like this incredible <laughs> insight in his interpretation of Marxism, which is that, or yeah, end of capitalism, which is that the way that capitalist ideology is structured is that it's constantly trying to reshape our desires such that we enjoy our own domination under capitalism. So like Zizek, I think says really accurately that like neoliberalism's turning yourself into a commodity and branding is sold to you as a pleasurable thing that you do in sort of this weird, perverse, masochistic manner. Yeah. And that's, th that's okay. the productive aspect of power that we were getting yeah. at in the previous podcast I was on. And that's a big issue is that I think a lot of people look at power mm -hmm. only as this repressive yeah. force when in reality, like through implication that we're talking about, like the implication of starvation if mm -hmm. you do not find a job, which society does not necessarily need to be framed that way, but it is framed that way and it makes justifications to be framed that way. And more importantly, it's not dictated to you by a sovereign centralized power that is a decentralized form of power oh, yeah. that is constantly operative as a threat without coming from any person or institution itself yeah. and it, it's reinforced by our interactions with other people going through the same experiences who are fed the kind of okay but, okay, but the conclusion that somebody would draw from, from what you guys have been saying mm -hmm. is that all and i think you guys are going to agree with me all wage labor um alienation exists in all wage labor yes yeah. Right. Yeah. So then, so th but then, what <laughs> you're totally. really arguing? Dude, so then, no. In reality, like, I mean, sure. Look, <laughs> Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> <laughs> I love Colin Kaepernick. To Kaepernick. I'm sorry. I don't care yeah. uh, that much. Yeah. Um, but really hey, put some respect um, on his name. <laughs> uh, either way, um, he uh, like he is a like millionaire football player. Sure. He is technically still alienated from his labor. He may be very, very high on the labor aristocracy, but, and that has well, a lot of privilege attached to it. I don't think, it. I don't think he but would ever, and that's I get still that, alienation, technically. I get that we can separate alienation from enjoyment, uh -huh. but I lose my, uh, um, I mean, I thought the, the bad part of alienation was that people were being oppressed. Yeah, sometimes and I get, you enjoy I, oppression, though. This is, again, the whole Zizek insight, which is that okay, capitalism so, has this productive form of power to it that shapes the kind of subject you are to become the kind of subject who can enjoy their domination. Yeah, our ideas we, and our thoughts don't come out of thin air. Yeah. Like, they are formed by the institutions that we grow up in and are a part of. Mm -hmm. and right, but you guys have to understand, for a yeah. lot of people, they don't even think of their career necessarily as a job. There are some people who enjoy going to work. They enjoy what they're doing. Yeah, that's and not their the majority. Is entirely even, even if I think that is true, like, even if that combats alienation as theory, which I don't think it does, that's not the majority of the workforce. Even in a 
the service industry job. The majority of us are working sure, shitty yeah. jobs. Sure. Okay, my my dad, <laughs> sure. my dad. Again, this is another anecdote, but my dad is an architect. And when I was younger, I was trying to see if I wanted to be an architect mm-hmm. as well. And he flat out told me, "I love architecture. If I could design all the time and just do amazing projects, that would be incredible." <laughs> But I hate the business of architecture, and it's incredibly alienating. Okay. So the problem is if there are people who do exist who like their work in which there is surplus that an employer is taking. Uh-huh. And we, we, I mean, I feel like we have to define whether those people are being oppressed or not. Henry. And I have a question. So, like, okay, let's say that, like, there was no wage system and you're – your dad wanted to build a house for someone else. Would that? I mean, wouldn't that still be like the same? Even no, if building someone paid for money? something else isn't necessarily a problem. So this is again the Marxist insight: yeah. all labor produces a surplus. So like the simple proof of this that like Richard Wolff gives that I think is really good is like look at tribal societies. Not everyone works because you have older people in the community usually, but there's enough goods for everybody because our labor necessarily produces surpluses. So doing something else for someone and giving them that surplus isn't inherently exploitative. The exploitation comes through the mediation through wage, but also through, again, the implied threat of power that you're going to fucking starve if you don't do it. It's the combination of those two things. But we, but we already agree that the market's not responsible for the starvation aspect. What um, do you mean? Yeah, okay, yeah okay, it is because so, you have to yeah, buy I'm not, food. I'm not willing to say okay, the market's okay, not responsible. Okay, look, <laughs> the, market, the market is created through property rights. And those property rights are responsible for people's yeah. starvation. Hold on, hold on, if hold on. You can we literally, guys, we started, and I said we're all on the exact same platform starting here, when we all agreed that if you do not labor, you will starve. We all agreed there. Sure. And, and so sure. now you guys sure. are but the market, but No, no, we're not going back on that. We're saying so that na- nature no, no. is inherently oppressive. In the status quo, in in the status quo i.e. under whatever weird phase of capitalism we're in, it's not just if you do not labor, you will starve. It's if you do not sell your labor through wage. Yeah. You will starve. And private property is not an outcome of labor. Like, capital is created through labor, but private property is the allocation of capital to specific yeah. individuals. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I that's the, the big issue. Like, but we, want, we want people yeah. to have the tools in order to labor, in order to not starve. Here's the thing, though. You're conflating labor itself, which is not something we're saying needs to be abolished, because labor itself is a given fact of life, with exploitative wage labor which is a, is a different question so you're trying to pin something no, on us that we are no no, 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 no because 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 we agreed earlier that uh wherever a surplus exists fine so would you would you say wherever there's an employer employee relationship in all instances alienation exists yes yes because, because one of them owns private property that the other doesn't own. That doesn't mean somebody has al- alienated from their labor. Yes, if you're doing still... their labor working the property of another to produce a commodity that's not their own, then yes, it is. Even in, in, in a lot of employer-employee relationships, it's not that you're producing a commodity that is then not your own. You're trading that commodity for a wage. Yeah. No, you're trading sure. your time. Yeah, you're your not labor. trading the commodity. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, that's not true. No, see, that's not true. No, because you're, you're, if you the value become... of the commodity, you are directly. So, the, what you're I guess in an hourly position, you guys are right. If you're being paid hourly, then you're trading your time. No, even but not if... hourly though. In order for a profit to be produced, you need to be not compensated with the full value yeah. of the commodity. And fundamentally, the owner in that case, the employer, is the only subject in the whole scenario because the laborer becomes objectified as mm-hmm. another piece of capital. Okay, so so I let's use the term human capital. Okay, let's which say it's used in human resources. There's somebody I'm an econ major. I know that yeah. <laughs> who is a freelancer, 
And let's say they but do you're like, always looking for the exceptions here. Freelancers are the vast minority. Let me make my point. Let me make my point. Let me make my point. Okay. Okay. But 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 that is inherently a there's alienation because they're not enjoying the commodity that they're producing. But sure. Yeah. Okay. They don't even own it. Well, how 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 are you skipping over this? Like it doesn't matter. No, you don't even have you don't even have to like enjoy the thing that you make necessarily for it to be unalienated labor like yeah think about if again okay wait hold on let's scenario. define alienated versus unalienated labor then because that's okay really so there are multiple types of alienation alienated labor is something that you do because of implied power relationships can i just pull up the economic manuscripts real sure. quick that yep. give like this yeah, really yeah. that's a good Go idea quick explanation yeah. uh, y'all can talk like at this but i think it's interesting how whenever we talk about marxism it ends up we just talk about alienation of labor because this is something well, that this Tom's is an instance. Well, this is their argument well, against I the marketplace. Think in this instance, it matters. Yeah. Because I think alienation is really where Marxism is theorizing power yeah. in a lot of ways. So I, I think that's topical. Well, it's just uh, hard. It's hard to I argue get against to Foucault, though. free markets um, without that. But okay, ho- wait, hold on, wait. Ed. It's just let me just say one thing. I really feel like it would make sense if you guys had said like, oh yeah, whenever you're being paid a, an hourly wage, alienation exists. But if you're producing content that you're then trading what you produced for money. I just don't think that alienation exists in that circumstance. Uh, are you ever going to read Marx, Tom? <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean, I've read. I, I haven't like read like a uh, lot of Marx, but like, I mean, I feel like, like are you I, ever I feel like I don't have a poor grasp of the ideas. What are the four types uh, of alienation in the economic manuscripts? <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is. I don't need to read Marx because I have you, Allie, and because but I have Ed, no, and because I come Marx. here and you guys give me the whole bit. <laughs> right, like you I mean, definitely if, need to. If read you it. guys can't make it's, it's outdated. Online. It's outdated. No, it's absolutely it's not. You can't just assert it's, that it's outdated. He, he was Marxism didn't writing. end in the 1800s. There no, were contemporary no, but Marxist the, theories like David Harvey, who are specifically updating Marxism yeah. to the context of neoliberalism and financialization. Which Marxism is, is a living. Like, uh, okay, thing. yeah, that's that's talking fair. talking about the current debt-driven economy is. But Marx himself Marcus, was analyzing everything through the lens of industrialization. Because that's the point of time he was alive. Yeah, I know, I know. But, but I'm just <laughs> saying, you guys said, are you ever going to read Marx? And I'm saying it's a little, he, fine, perhaps I will read the updated versions of Marxism. That's fine. Like, I can read some Marxism. No, but you have to read the original yeah. Marx to understand but, what updated Marxism yeah, is. Okay, fine, fine. They're going to be basing <laughs> it off of that. Like, this is like 200 years of theory that, like, you can't just ignore it's like reading the new testament and not reading the five books of moses (laughs) okay hold on so let's let's do the alienation thing though because i feel like it's going to take us a while to sort of to sort of um muddle through this yeah but like really and and really i do think it it is integral like if you guys can convince me that the market creates uh an alienation of labor uh, i have one yeah or alienation of labor or like i just don't have a power i don't have like a threat of death well sure go ahead henry so like uh, there's no market, right? Sure. But Safeway owns all the food. How how would that come to happen? That's an insane hypothetical. Wait, wait what? Well, I don't own food. Okay. I don't. I'm. I have to go buy the food. Yeah. Right. Am I missing something? Am I? Well, well Safeway is a product of the market, though. So when you say the market doesn't. But if there's exist, no market, then there's just food. So you're what you're saying well, is. Well, is there no Safeway property? So the market and property are. are no, different. everyone should. Wait. Just have what the you're food. saying is that Safeway has the property rights to this to food. all the food yes they own all yes, the food but and they're they can not give it selling to me it. well they can sell it but i have to have some job that makes enough money to buy said food and also the land i live on and the bed i sleep on because i'll die if i don't have enough money for and all of those things. exactly so a market is a relationship it's a group <laughs> of relationship which which is why yeah. it's ridiculous to be like 
you know, talking about it as a finite thing. It's like malleable and changes over time, but it's fundamentally built on power relationships. On contract, real contractual quick, I agreements. Yeah, excerpt. I mean, I agree with you. I have the excerpt where Mark kind of Mark's kind of hits these. Where Mark talks, Mark. <laughs> uh, so this hey, is from uh, the Economic and Philosophical Manuscripts of what is it, eighteen eighteen forty four? Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, so this is from the section on strange labor, where sort of summarizing the types of it, he says we've considered the act of uh, estranging practical human activity, labor, in two of its aspects. First. The relation of the worker to the product of labor as an alien object exercising power over him. This relation is at the same time the relation of the sensuous external world to the object of nature as an alien world uh, inimically opposed to him. So that's when we're talking about the alienation from the commodity produced. That's what Mark's talking about there, but there's more than that. There's the relation of labor to the act of production within the labor process. This relation is the relation of the worker to his own activity as an alien activity not belonging to him. It is the activity of suffering, strength, his weakness, begetting and emasculating the worker's own physical and mental energy, his personal life, and what is his life activity. So that's more like when you're endlessly flipping burgers, that's an activity that is itself alienating the form of labor being done. So it's not just from the commodity. And then the third one that he highlights is he says, uh, there's a third aspect of a strange labor to deduce from the two already considered, uh, i.e. man is a species being not only because in practice and in theory, he adopts the species as his object, but this is only another way of expressing it. Also because he treats himself as an actual living species because he treats himself as a universal and therefore a free being. Um, and so this is where I kind of have a problem with Marx. But there is this third type, too, which is this alienation from species being. Don't laugh, John. Um, and that's an Producer alienation John. from what it means to be human as a free agent who enacts and objectifies the world around her um, in order to make the world different. And that itself is also alienated. So when we talk about alienation, it's not just alienation from the commodity. Marx has this very complex, multifaceted notion of alienation. That's okay, so play. then do you think that there is such thing as an employer-employee relationship in which the labor is non-alienated no, labor. Absolutely no. not. Okay, okay, okay. So but you do think that there is non-alienated labor yes. that exists. And do so you think that there is non-alienated labor that produces wealth for that person that you, you can survive on non-alienated labor. Define wealth. Labor. That's you, a really I'm just saying, can you, get, I mean, can you get paid for your labor, right? Can you survive off of it? Why do you have to get paid for your labor, though? This is the ridiculous assertion. So, again, I'm going to be using the primitivism example because it's just stark. In the instance that Zerzan highlights of a hunter-gatherer society, you're not being paid for your labor, but you are laboring for the survival of yourself and your community at the same time. That is unalienated Those labor. are the same thing. You just said the same thing. No. Sure. No, payment payment, payment, okay, sure. payment be, expresses be a monetary mediation. That and, occurs. Those are and, not the same thing. And the payment reinforces power structures within that society, mm -hmm. which don't need to be reinforced through that activity. In oh, the context hold on, hold on. of laboring to survive and, mm -hmm. and being paid for your labor. Two separate things. Okay, but, but you guys realize that people are paid for their labor in order but, to but survive. That, I mean, I mean, but, no, but again, semantically two, no, they're no, different. They're, yeah. But no, literally they're different. In a hunter-gatherer society, really, you can't just brush over this. These are materially oh, I'm not different trying to things. Brush over this. No, in I, a hunter-gatherer society, I labor for my life and for the livelihood of my community, but I'm not given monetary compensation to mediate between the labor and then using that compensation to purchase okay, the means of but, survival. But obviously it's not, but, it's but not no, currency no, no. that you have a problem with. So if you were given food a problem in with exchange for your labor. I do have a problem with currency. Is it just receiving anything in exchange yeah. for your labor? Is that what the problem is? Uh, it's not necessarily anything in exchange for your labor, because theoretically, if you're hunting, you're exchanging yeah. with nature. Yep. Yeah. You are gaining something from nature. But 
real quick, you can't just brush over and say being paid for your labor is the same as surviving off of your labor. Those are really, really, no, I still think, really I still, you different social You systems. haven't yet convinced me that they're different. Why? Because in okay, the okay, context okay, because of a hunter-gatherer, in the context of a hunter-gatherer society, you are living off your labor, but there's no monetary compensation. In the status quo, you are monetarily compensated, and then you use that money in order to buy food to survive. I know, but, are, but see, it sounds like you're just arguing against currency when you do that. I am against currency. Because okay, it's, know, but, it's <laughs> an aspect of institution. It's a relationship between things. Okay, in a hunter-gatherer society, let's say I went out and I hunted, and I got a deer, mm -hmm. and then I went back, and there was somebody who was gathering berries, and I I gave them some of my the, some of my deer for mm -hmm. some of their berries. Mm -hmm. Exchange just took place. I mean, that's a marketplace right there. That's not mediated by weight. We're never going to see that you're alienated. That's not mediated by weight. There's no trade. It's not inherent. Yeah. We, we already have see, exactly, the that's currency conversation. Is, is your only argument? Okay, so th but then, I am but opposed to currency. I've, I've gone over. This I know. I know. I know. But, but, but trade you, can exist without currency, which you just mentioned. Demonstrated. And sure. Sure. That's but not, you're still exchanging your labor. In that instance, you're exchanging your labor. No, that that is totally different because. How? One person—that's the exchange of personal property. Yeah, that was sure. that came from your labor. Sure. It is not a like sure. uh, owner paying you for your labor to become a uh, element of production. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's but go, totally okay, so then different. going back, then going back you to where I was. No, if no, you're no, a wait. freelancer, how wait, is it wait, different? Wait, wait, wait. How is it different from freelancing? Because you, <laughs> because in a because freelancer, you you're still entering formal, into those yeah. relationships. You might be in and out of them all the time, but you're still entering into them. I don't understand. There Being a migrant worker as well is <laughs> like still fucked up. Okay, but in, in, and in you the can consider that a example, freelancer. In the, in the hunter gatherer example, you you still have a labor relationship with the person who's gathering berries. What do you mean? Okay, so neither of you are. But you don't no, have an no, institution to reinforce yeah. power structure. And there's not a notion it, of private property at play there that's causing. There's you, a notion of personal property, which but is that's the different. Same no, in no, that, no in it's, that it's absolutely it's entirely different. So we, in this instance, yeah. I hunt and get some meat. You forage and get some berries. Okay. We both directly gained these sure. things from that labor that we've put into them. Yeah. And then we can make an exchange between the two of them, which is going to be mediated based on how much value we think they're worth, which is going to be based on how much time we spent gathering them primarily. Yeah. So. Okay. So, no, so no, no, no. Didn't, just let me finish because okay, this ahead, is finish. really important. No, I love now, it. Okay. In the instance of private property, i.e. I own property, which I need someone else to work. I pay you a wage to work that property, which you never gain access no, 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 no. to. No, but, but use my freelancer example. There's no private property. There's only personal property in that example. But no, that's why not you true. negotiate with their example? Well, no, because I, my, my, my entire parallel, I'm not disagreeing. So what do you mean when you, you mean? say freelancer? Okay, here's what I'm saying. Do you think I, everyone well, in the world should be a freelancer? No, no, but in the, I'm trying to <laughs> establish. Well, what do you mean listen, by freelancer? What do you mean by freelancer? Whether or not it is alienated labor or non-alienated so labor. So what do you mean by a freelancer? Okay, so here's 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 my parallel to, to the hunter-gatherer example. And, I, and it is my, my what I mean by a freelancer is if I go and create something digitally let's say i create uh -huh. something digitally and i trade it to you for either currency or for berries again like mm -hmm. i don't care you could be picking berries and i instead of shooting a deer i created something digitally using personal not private property but using personal property i create content for you and i trade it to you for your berries how is that not the exact same thing? There's no way that we can... What be, well, no. sure. So in that particular well, instance... corporation's trading you berries. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> not no, occurring. No, no, you're no, you're no. being compensated. So I actually no think that that yeah. is a different relationship than a standard wage relationship. That's more of a commission relationship, which is like what a lot of freelance artists work. But again, why is so it... So non-alienated labor then? Well, 
uh, potentially not alienated, but at least, I'll say, at least not alienated in the same way that someone working a direct re uh, wage relationship. Okay, but, but then but then instead of trading for berries, I trade for currency. Suddenly it's a well, wage so relationship, I think money is, and now it's I, more I think money, alienated? I, th I think money is yes. alienated. And yes. I actually think in... No, actually, I'll Okay, okay. Then, no, then, in the original no. state... No, in the original instance, it is alienated because you're going to sell a commodity to that person, which they'll then profit off of, probably in advertising context, continually while you get a one-time payment off of it. So there actually is still alienation that's occurring there. Wait, okay, money, fine, fine. Wait, what if, wait, what if wait, it, wait, instead wait. of... Okay, money is an abstraction yeah, of access yeah, yeah. to capital. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where alienation true. happens is people get lost in this abstract. We can't, like... Okay, it, okay, fine, but, fine but, but there are plenty of people who create content without even knowing what or how much they're going to sell it for. Right, Ed? That is such... The small no. minority no, no, of the no, no, this is literally less than one percent of global workers exist in this relationship, and I just think it's telling that in order to justify capitalism, you have to find that less than one percent that like, well, isn't evidently. So I don't think it's less than one percent. I don't think it's less than one percent at all. Are you of the global workforce? You Wait, think you less than one percent of workers are? I mean, more than one percent of workers are freelance artists who are producing. Or, yeah. or not artists, just, just freelance, just creating their own content or their own property that they then That is trade. less than 1% of global it's workforce. Also, no, like, guaranteed. No, no, no it's also important. Absolutely. This is a big issue I also have with libertarians is that their scope of focus gets really, really narrow sometimes and focuses a lot on the American workforce. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not even focusing like, on the American internationalism workforce. Internationalism in, in Marxism is super important because of the labor aristocracy. Like, we have a less shitty life yeah. and hold on, seemingly... Hold on. Are okay, but less in, oppressed. But in my example, the free, the freelancer example wait, that I give that exists more internationally <laughs> than in America. I don't think that's the case. Of there course, it are is. of course. More, it is. What do you mean by that? We have way more of a corporate structure. I, I mean, I want to let Ed finish though because I did interrupt you. So <laughs> I feel bad. So you can finish, and then I'll respond, to Allie. Okay. Um, no, we. I mean, our privilege as American workers is extraordinarily high, and it's built off of the oppression, the direct oppression, things you would call oppression of people in third world countries also though, and also i mean i would also make the argument that the rural and urban divide is an oppressive mm -hmm. one people are kept in the rural areas because it in it fit the interest of capital more yeah. than having them move in no, I don't cities. think that's true at all. No, absolutely. All. <laughs> it, well, and also sometimes the opposite well, occurs. The there were many rural <laughs> communities that were literally liquidated by capitalism in order to proletarianize yeah. the population. So, for example, the Enclosure Acts, which occurred in England, which closed off the commons to rural peasants, forced people to move to the city to proletarianize them. This is like, the, again, this is what Marx talk about now, when we talk about primitive occurring. accumulation. Look, the world no, the is urbanizing is quickly, no, and, no, and you, you can you, tell you that the, correct, the, the rural... Yeah. You are correct. That urbanization is working differently now. So now wealth is concentrating in urban centers in really weird ways that it hasn't. That doesn't indicate that it's not a contradiction built into capitalism just because it moves back and forth. Okay, but 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 Ed was saying that the urban community is oppressing the rural community. I did not say that. As I a, said on that a structural the, level. Though. No, I said that the institutions that we have and the way that we produce our economy, it has to do with uh, productive power aspects that reinforce people wanting to live in rural areas when they miss out on a lot of social benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of people, uh, everyone who I know who lives in rural areas, and I know quite a few people who live rurally, like really want to live, and they would hate living in a city. Yeah, a lot of them There's do. There's a lot of issues in the city. Yeah, that's totally But you also said they live rurally, so yeah. they have grown up enjoying Yeah, you can't that. reduce lots desire of people, to the center yeah. of the question There's lots of, of people justice. that live in the cities that 
I don't think that desire is manufactured outside though. of them as well. It absolutely is manufactured. But so this is this is the discussion we yeah. should have though, because yeah. this is again this is an underlying is difference of power. Where for us, power is this productive process that turns us into specific types of producing and desiring beings. And for you, it's a repressive process that stops us from doing. No, and no, I, I can see when it being we, either. No, I can see when it being we either. when we say ideology, we're talking about those things that are built, those relationships mm-hmm. that are created. Okay, but no, let's really, really elaborate on this, though. And you guys have to explain to me how we are, how either an institution or a group of people or anyone is oppressively instilling a desire no, to live pro- rurally. No, hold on, no, hold on. No, 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 that's the no, point no, that we're no, making, but though. Even no. the premise that you suggested is an incorrect notion of power. So again, this is why I keep saying power is diffuse. It's not located in a group of people or an institution. Power doesn't operate anymore in a centralized function. The state is largely obsolete in the enactment of this type I know, of I'm power. Not, I'm not talking about the state. But no, but again, you can only think of power as concentrated in specific things. So you said, exactly, an institution or group of people. Or, or any like imaginable I mean yeah imagine that power doesn't flow from a center try to try to grasp that for a second because I think genuinely power does not flow from a center do you think oppression flows from an oppressor no you don't think so? It no, no, it's not that simple. No, like it, historically speaking, yes, we no. moved into a different social. I, just, form. Okay. I think I think okay. all oppression can be. Can, you can find the root of all oppression. Mm. Yeah, there is a root. Okay, so <laughs> so what is the root that is controlling people's desire to live? So rural? I would say the root would be capitalism, but that's not a centralized thing. Capitalism is diffuse in every interaction yeah. we have in our life because it's totalizing. Capitalism is also an abstract because yeah. it's a series of relationships. Is there any non-abstract root that we can point to that's contr- manipulating people's desire? No, the world's not rural. that simple. Abstracts have power. Yeah. That's the point yeah. okay, we're fine, trying fine. to make. Even, okay, even if I give, it, even if I give <laughs> you capitalism, though, but I'll give you capitalism on that mm-hmm. one, Ali. Okay, so now show me how capitalism is influencing or manipulating people desi- people's desire on where they need to live. So have you ever think... watched an advertisement? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like but I don't see advertisements that. are broken up like by region to fit yeah. different demographics I do, I do, and I mean, sell different things to those demographics. There is also a desire to move to cities. No one's saying it's just one or the other. You're really oversimplifying, I think, Ed's claim. And we're also saying that, it, uh, like I said earlier, it's self-reinforcing. Mm-hmm. We do it to each other because, no, I disagree. There is no wellspring of oppression or power. Mm-hmm. It has to do with the network of connections that we make and how those connections are manipulated for different identity interests and with that i i think it's super important to look at capitalism as something that sells us a spectacle and an idea of like life that doesn't really <laughs> i just it I, hides I, up a lot i don't things. think that people's desire on where they live is rooted in are you kidding me um, hold on. Well, let me finish what I'm going to say. How can you... Okay, I don't think it's ahead, rooted... I don't, I don't think... That, okay, then, then, then we may as well just say that all desires and all opinions are all rooted in... Uh, or they're all... You can blame them all on some root of oppression Absolutely. or power. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is, again, this no. is why this ties in the free speech episode. Ideas aren't freestanding abstract things that are separate from structures and relationships. They're created and produced in context. Yeah, here. Uh, like, I, I don't think what you just said is it a sounds, ridiculous see, statement. No, but see, and actually, I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised, though, Ali, because if you believe in a strong central state and in Marxism and in capitalism, then you do believe in, like, for example, forcibly relocating people and, and whatnot um, against their will. Because I guess you would argue, well, it's not their will. They never truly desired to live there, right? <laughs> well, that I, is a move you can make. That's not actually how I think about those uh, things. Okay, um, um, but... 
people truly desire things just because something yeah. is a social construct and a abstract doesn't mean it's, doesn't mean it's yeah. not yeah. real yeah. like we experience these things and go through them in our <laughs> daily lives and they inform our decisions and our desires and everything about our identity and as we well experience them exactly very we viscerally. experience them very very real and sure the 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 thing is, though, that social constructs can also be deconstructed. I'm an anarchist who's obsessed with building institutions, not just breaking them down. And it's important when you're looking at building an institution and relationships between different things and people, then you have to consider the consequences of them. Okay, so I think the state thing that you asked, that was a totally separate question from just the theory of desire and will, like... I, I, I like I'm not super into forcibly relocating people actually <laughs> well no but <laughs> it's not really I, I, was, I didn't even I really honestly um, didn't even know. mean that as a criticism I just mean that in the examples where we've seen people trying to transition from some sort of capitalist state to some sort of communitarian well so something you are there, there is often a lot of relocation and and I'm actually defending I'm saying it does make sense that if you think people's desires are not to have no sort of innate uh, aspect to sure, them at yes, all, yes. then you, it does sort of make yeah. sense. You are correct that Marxists justify a lot of things by having a differing notion of desire, such that someone making an appeal to desire doesn't carry the same weight for us that it right. carries for a libertarian. Um, but that that's a separate question of statecraft, right? Yeah, I guess so. You know what I mean? And, okay, but... Uh, I mean... I don't know. What are you let's say? go back to alienation. No, I think no, we're, I think, we're, I think we're really at Here, the cool shit right I'm, now. I'm going to share... Uh, Something about I don't um, I don't think talking about desire. I mean, we're just going to disagree. It, we're basically arguing nature versus nurture when we argue like w how people form. Uh, yeah, but I what think they that, that I, no, I honestly <laughs> feel like that's a false dichotomy. They bleed sure. into each other so much. Yeah, and like they influence. Like, I mean, what? Where does your nurture or what is your? Where does your nature come from? Like, honestly, they, it comes from previous experiences of your genetic makeup and that has to do with nurture as well so i know but okay uh, but here's the problem is is ed your original thesis when we were talking about the urban rural divide is that one of those groups is being oppressed by not by the no, other group ed, no. ed straight up said that he's not trying to make a direct oppression opp oppressor oppressed correlation here no the the initial divide occurred because of capital interest mm -hmm. yeah capitalism then because of its interest continued along that path and has continued the divide then ideological functions step in and reinforce that in the people that live there who may otherwise think of moving to the city or think of a different way mm -hmm. to like do agriculture which we already have i mean yeah. farmers don't own their land anymore really all that <laughs> edward's saying is that it is useful for capitalism to maintain a rural urban divide yes and that it creates ideological incentives for that divide to continue yeah. to exist i mean look but see, so okay, wait, I, wait, I wait, 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 wait look at country music which i listen to a lot of country music but that's how actually surprising. How, well, <laughs> I love country music. How many... I also love folk music, which is actually where it came yeah. from, because there's a lot of, like, leftist yeah. folk artists like Phil Ox and stuff, huh. so... But um, I... Uh, um, how many songs have you heard that are literally just, like, you don't understand my small town yeah. Yeah. and our small town ways yeah. and, like, the back roads where I grew up and yeah. Phil Ox has this incredible song called... Uh, my kingdom for a car. <laughs> Have you heard that? Yeah, that's it's a the good best one. song ever. Google that. Yeah. Also, it's love me, I'm a liberal. Yeah, is pretty it's good. good. <laughs> but no, I, I think Ed's point is important here. Well, like, we'll country music represents pop culture for yeah. a huge amount of the country. Yeah, 
and and that reinforces their desire to live in rural communities. I'm not saying that anybody is doing I agree this that maliciously it or no, intentionally. I agree. And it reinforces they're doing animosity. It, yeah, they're doing it because of the implications of the relationships that have already been formed. And those were formed because of different class interests. Mm-hmm. Okay, see, I don't think that capitalism has just cap okay look does capitalism reinforce the urban rural divide absolutely perhaps i'd say it created perhaps. it see okay see that is where i disagree thank you that's where i was going i was like but it did not create it no Why? people's desire to live rurally and people and other people's desire to live urban that's what created the divide the urban and the rural as these things that exist is not historically Ali, but you you agree that innately speaking some people are more social and some people no i don't i actually absolutely don't agree with you don't add you I have uh, a very no. small good. I'm glad you view. Don't. I, mean, I have a very don't. tiny it's, it's view consistent. of what is innate. I think people's personalities have a lot to do with nurture. Yeah. Like, I, I, I agree. I, they, I think they do have a lot to do with nurture. Like, but I'm just saying, I don't think that capitalism, which now does reinforce the urban-rural mm-hmm. divide, I don't think it has created the urban-rural divide. If you go ask someone who lives rurally, hey, do you think that a uh, system of oppression or power ha- is is reinforcing your desire to live here like no yeah, one's going to be like because it, yeah. the w- but that's that's crucial this is the whole point about ideology we don't we're not conscious of the ways that our desires and our actions are shaped by these ideas those aren't thematized for us because if they were if we became aware of that there's a threat that we would actually try to push back against those powers well, yeah. and, but you are wait, you wait, are wait, aware wait, wait, of that wait. though wait, yeah i your think scope, people are more or less conscious your scope also has an issue with um, time because yeah. uh, the agricultural industry did not just appear out of thin air. Yeah. There wasn't like, <laughs> we weren't like hunters and gatherers and then suddenly capitalism came along and was like we're going to buy from farmers. No, mm-hmm. like it came out of serfdom mm-hmm. and feudal society. Capitalism came out of feudal society and has the same roots. They changed the institutions and they changed the ideological functions of those institutions, but they did not remove mm-hmm. the oppressive aspect of it. But also, yes, I I do think so genuinely. And this is where people call Marxists uh, condescending and patronizing. I think I have more consciousness of the objective relationships to economics than someone who doesn't think in these terms. Because I think you can be more or less conscious of your oppression. And that's why critiquing ideology and pointing it out is important in order to make people more aware. Okay, do you you feel like capitalism is is forcing you to choose a a urban or a rural lifestyle? Yeah. Obviously, you live urban. But you do you, so I you're saying you don't choose the type of I mean, labor like, that will I come do down only exists really in urban contexts. Okay. So is I, that true? Is that not. why, or do you desire to live yeah. urban? I think I, I think I, I mean I don't know your desires. But, but, but I think again, you desire desires to live urban. not beyond contextualization within a structural context, right? I'm surrounded by advertising, by products that focus on an urban context, an urban environment. The reason that gentrified, like, high-rise lofts look appealing to me is because I've been conditioned through an entire regime of advertising and ideology to see them as appealing. It's also more complicated. When in reality, those are the most dangerous because you might fall off. (laughs) Well, uh, in there's also the fact that it's more complicated than just urban-rural divide. Mm -hmm. People prefer different sizes of cities. Like, I would like to live in a city the size of Portland, maybe a, a million people yeah. more. But right, sure. is, that, is that preference that's that you I, have, is that yes. based on, is that capitalism that influencing that preference it's, to the, like, created it? It's like, capitalism based on, created that It's based on my experiences, and capitalism yeah. is an innate framework of those experiences. Because you've lived your whole life under it. Exactly. <laughs> okay, but, but obviously, neither of you disagree that urban-rural divide would exist in a Marxist uh, 
I actually no. think one of the things that Marxism tries to do is to reconcile that. That's the hammer and the sickle, the industrial worker and the peasant coming together in unity. And how is that? How is, yeah, but but we would still have centers of urbanization. We're not going to get rid of cities. No, but it's <laughs> right? not just like, the existence wait. of these two contexts. It's yeah. that there's an animosity and way that they're almost pitted against each other, really, yeah. as a contradiction. And we're not, like, saying that cities would disappear, definitely. Yeah, no I think more that. people would move to urban areas. I think that we would make it makes more sense to do things like vertical farming, vertical farming and try yeah, and figure cool. that out and do it in urban centers so that they could actually be sustainable yeah i actually do largely think we yeah. would urbanize more and it, that we would okay but if we if farms. we urbanize more see that see that the problem is though what about the people who don't want to live in a city then they will not live in a city and we won't force them to but eventually i'm sure their children will yeah. see the like Incentives the of the farms city. Are dope. See, have you ever seen, seen the schematics? I'm, I'm, I'm saying I also think that cities are more efficient, but I just think it's 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 it is a sort of condescending I approach to be like, no, oh, they'll learn, totally, no, and if no, they don't learn, their children will I learn. I genuinely but think we're it, gonna is, it is condescending. You know what I mean? We like, should propagandize them to get them to move <laughs> to the city. No, I genuinely believe part of the function of the party. talking about influencing desires. Dude. No, yeah, I'm, I'm not being. But this is the thing. I don't think coercion or influencing desire is an inherently problematic thing because I think that's a universal relationship between all individuals because power is universal. Yeah, it's exploitation that is a problem, but that's different than that. But I genuinely think the party under like the development of social should propagandize moving to the city absolutely okay so i am not going to force anybody <laughs> to move to the city i know the difference between i really guys, yeah. like i i see the like nice part about small towns and <laughs> i don't have a problem with them at all and i don't have a problem with rural life at all um but um what i'm saying is that it's in urban centers best interest to approach vertical farming because they should be <laughs> sustainable yeah. and they should try and re reach post-scarcity at least for their area and this would create less of an incentive for farmers who would inevitably move to the city it's not like mm -hmm. people in the past made decisions like all the time just because they wanted no, to. No, most people moved to the city, again, because of the enclosure yeah. laws, which cut off the commons in rural areas and forced people in Britain to have to move to the city to sell their labor. Again, yeah. this is primitive accumulation. Like, Yeah, you should... Like, okay, I, I... The institutions, like, essentially create the possibilities of what we can want and then allow us to choose. Yeah, I know, but it sounds like you guys are both encouraging or foreseeing uh, an institution I don't not even so if there's two yeah, options if there's sure, an option between sure. rural and urban then you guys are, want there to be one option of urban uh, well at least Ali wants it to be forcibly but you just think well, it's I inevitably going to happen be forcibly so again I would do not forcibly fine propaganda. I would offer economic incentives for people to move there I would do all sorts of things under socialist fine but but but, but for building. both of you the future that you that you envision only has one choice and not the two because I think urban is the sustainable model if we can get vertical farming down then urbanization can become a sustainable way for human beings to live yeah, and honestly, that's a necessity honestly the way and that then, the then, way that I would go about this is incentivizing farmers to come and mm -hmm. go to college and become educated yes. about how best to get crop yields from these farms yeah. and how to set up vertical farming. How, how and is they, rural they should be treated like though? 
because it's not it uses that rural so much land. Yeah, it uses a lot of like, land, but also to produce food centralizing for a lot of populations makes distribution way easier. It really yeah. simplifies things. This is basically why I'm you, not a primitivist. In the in like, the free market, we don't right. have a distribution problem. Actually, it's going quite well. No, you. But uh, you do because <laughs> trucks put out a huge amount of pollution in the United States. Not all trucks, but yeah, a lot of no, trucks. but no. Literally, shipping is one of the larger producers outside of agriculture in the United yeah. States. I know. But I'm just saying that's easily. I mean, we're but that's moving a problem. That's going to lead us anyhow. towards extinction. Well, look, oh, that is bullshit. You, I mean, you sound like. You sound like John Zerzan when you well, say that. Like, so we can't have trucks. In well, so I'm different than Zerzan, though, because I think I the solution isn't to go primitive. It's to build technological centers where distribution doesn't require such a geographic outlay. Yeah, I thought you believed in science, if we can, man. If we can distribute... Yeah, I do. And, and that's what I'm saying. We can easily... Look, capitalism... Solar-powered trucks are a thing that can yeah, fully exist. exactly. Thank you, Henry. That, sure. All I'm saying and is we can distribute to the level that we are now without having only urban centers. it would be easier to get centers. to a world where that exists if we spread out less and centralize things and could use some of the technology we have now in a less destructive yeah. way, which and urbanization would allow. Self-driving trucks that are solar-powered would be great for communism. Yeah. That would but see, let you, us you and trade. I are on, like, the fully automated awesome. luxury Oh, yeah, we shit. are. On, so. <laughs> if, if we're talking about the environmental problems with it and the environmental problems with distribution, a massive migration to urban centers would be the most unsustainable thing. I don't think so. People and then eventually we'll have one big city planet like Coruscant from the Star Wars universe, and we all know how that turned out. I don't think that's <laughs> the necessarily emperor. the case. I, I don't know. It's it's interesting that this conversation devolved to talking about rural and urban. I, I honestly wish we had talked difference. about... It is. You, you should take an urban economics class. That was actually one of my favorite classes I've taken here. <laughs> you should also read <laughs> Marx. <laughs> Guys, I... Uh, Okay. Read the economic manuscripts. strips. They're on marxist.org. If they're I, short, if they're I, great. If I just, read Marx, read I will send you guys you a, the same word count I've of read, any of any I read I fucking have. Atlas Shrugged, dude. But no, I, 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 I wasn't going to but I wasn't gonna say Atlas Shrugged, huh. Ali. We were both libertarians, shrug. okay? <laughs> so I've read Rothbard, if, dude. If, if you had truly <laughs> understood the ideas of the market, then I don't think you would have betrayed them for Marx's outdated ideas. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, look, no, I'll actually make a deal. I will actually read Marx. I'm, I'm not even being yeah, hypothetical here. Yeah. I will actually read at whatever you guys send me, but I will send you each an equal word count back of, of any material. But that I've already I read your show. I've read Hayek. I've read yeah, Novak. I've read all of that. Okay, well, and, and if I send <laughs> you something that you've already read, Ali, yes, then, okay, then yes, you won't yes, have yes. to read it. If you, ex okay, let's do sure, this. Like, yes, let's send <laughs> each other you. things. That's fine. Yeah. Ali, you're, 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 it's, it's fine. If, he's, if he sends you something that you've already read, don't read it. That's fine. But Tom, read the... Read the Communist Manifesto. And, no, not the Manifesto. That's a shit starting point. All right, read, read the, the economic manifesto. Read Hence. the Mark Engels reader. The whole thing. Read, the whole boy. Read give, other stuff on Marxist.org yeah, because there's no. so much, and it doesn't end with Marx. This give is yeah. frustrating. I want, I want one me. of you two to specifically give me the manuscript you want me to read. I like within reason, obviously. Like 500 pages is fine. Yeah, it's way but under. Like, the okay, bread fine, book. Under. Okay, fine. The bread book? Okay, and then when we come back, our discussion will be centered around the bread book then. No, we're not actually reading the bread book. We're Start not, with Marx, then read okay. The Conquest of Bread. Yeah. <laughs> well, send me the manuscript yeah, we'll by Marx. Okay, anyways. Read, and we can yeah, we get it. We get it. We get it. Based around All right, that. Yes. Okay. okay, let's read. We'll do some literary exchange. And um, I've had a wonderful time here today. That's Thank a you. You've been sitting back there brooding about how you haven't had shit to say. No, I've actually <laughs> been having a stressful text message conversation with my significant other. Oh, but wow. that's fine. She doesn't listen to these anyways. So <laughs> oh, my God. No. I hope not now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I love you. Anyways, um, we're, you don't have to cut that. It's fine. It's funny. Um, I think it's funny. It's <laughs> that's the banter. Character. Henry loves the banter. I love the banter. Organic. Um, I, I overdid my talking in the first five minutes so that I could not talk the entire other time um but 
Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Edward Fitzgibbon, for coming on in again. Uh, we thank love you. having you, one of a, f- a friend of the show. Um, thank you, producer John, for doing your whole thing. Uh, thank you, Allie and Tom, and myself, because we're just so great. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, leave us a review and a comment. Those are really nice. We so far have 100% five stars, so maybe knock us down a few pegs. That's totally fine. Call Henry a cuck. Call me a cuck. Call me whatever. Could that's you, totally you fine. you call someone a cuck in an iTunes review? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Let's read John Mayer's. Uh, I'm sure it'll be in there. If you spam it with <laughs> enough accounts, you can. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so thank you all very much. Uh, feel free to like and subscribe. I said all this already. Yeah, um, we're on Patreon. We've got some exclusive content coming. And and we love our listeners. And we love our listeners. Thank we you so you. much. Uh, this has been Small Town Discourse signing out Thanks from for Eugene, having Oregon. Me. Thank you. Ed. Ed, do you have anything you want to like plug? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> anything you'd want Communism people to read? Win. Any reading <laughs> suggestions? Oh. Uh, Movie no, suggestions? We shouldn't do that. <laughs> but um, you should have me back soon. For yeah, sure, yeah, I'm willing yeah, to come back episodes. to talk about it. I, w- I want to do an entire episode on alienation and labor. I really do. Okay, I think we, we just we just have. we just did. We, that we was do like that, every that time. was like twenty percent. I'll do it again when you read uh, back in all the manuscripts. Yes, okay. I and I don't want to do it again. Alienation is. Anyway, I don't want to do it again. Next week we've got a great show. It's going to be about movies. Oh yeah. So okay, that's, gonna be yeah, a great that's enough. Okay, bye everyone. Have a good time. We're signing out now.